Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites, who went up with me, made the hearts of the people sink. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day Moses swore to me, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now, give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there, and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man amongst the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. Thank you, Gloria. I saw a wry smile from Val there, who battled with that passage this morning, and is probably sat there thinking, oh, I'm glad I didn't have to do that again. (laughs) So thank you so much, uh, Gloria, uh, for that. Well, some days are good, some days are not so good. Wouldn't that be true? Uh, Some days the sun is shining, some days the sun is not shining, not necessarily in a weather perspective, uh, because it's always raining really when you pull the curtains, but, uh, but metaphorically speaking, some days you feel good on the inside, some days you don't, do you? Some days you wake up and you think, I feel completely okay. On other days, you discover you've got greater trochoteric pain syndrome. Isn't that true? Anybody know what that is? Oh, I know something medically that nobody else here does. That's what I was told I had on Thursday. Shall I enlighten you a little bit? We've got somebody in the medical world here. Well, it's only about, for me, about the size of of a 5p piece. Uh, During Thursday, I I had like a a pain on the side of my right uh, thigh. And you think, well, okay, what's with the pain on the side of your right thigh? And let's be honest, a lot of aches and pains, they come, they go, they come, they go. Sometimes they're there for a few days, sometimes a bit longer. Sometimes you've forgotten that they've gone. It just happens, doesn't it? It's a part of life. And I was okay stood up like this, fine wandering around. But when I went to sit down or stand up or get in the car, pain went from naught to like nine and a half. And I thought, this doesn't seem right. Have I got a trapped nerve or is it uh, some sort of uh, abscess in there or, or, or something or a cyst or whatever that's trapped? And overnight, I have to say, it was incredibly painful. Friday is my day off. thought, what can I do on my wonderful uh, day off? I'll phone the doctor because <laughs> I was in a lot of pain. Our doctors, you need to actually phone up at 8.30. There's probably, I don't know, 200 people that try and get through. I got through at 8.30. Yes! 
And it may well be that you're accustomed to phoning up the doctors and, yes, we can book you in an appointment in July 2023. Well, I managed to get in at 10.30, so I thought that was great. But on my way to the doctors, I thought, well, I feel a bit of a fraud, really, because walking around, I feel okay. But there was blatantly something not right. Anyway, there's apparently a trapped bag of liquid in and around that area that for active men between 40 and 60, sometimes it just happens. Sometimes it will disperse over a day, two days. Sometimes it will stay like that or spread and get worse for up to two years. That wasn't kind of filling me with a great deal of joy. But life is like that, isn't it? One day you feel okay and we just do not know what is round at the corner. I pray your prayers for that, what I call a silly pain. I play cricket. If I get hit with a cricket ball, my fault, because I've chosen to play cricket. This is one of those silly things, but anything that's so debilitating, why? Why, God, what's all that about? But life is like that, whether it's a physical ailment or otherwise. Sometimes things are okay and sometimes they're not. And we were thinking about this in the context of our faith. And going through the book of Joshua, we can see not only with, was Joshua, who very often is heralded as this great man of God, and he was a great leader of God, but he wasn't perfect, was he? He made some massive mistakes on the way. He was humble enough to admit those, but the leaders around him, they sometimes got it right. They sometimes didn't get it right. And the people of God sometimes got it right, and they sometimes didn't. There was victory, there was defeat, it went up, it went down. And as we think about our own journey of faith, as we look back to this passage, I trust that we'll see something in and of ourselves beyond the pages of history. I believe this stuff really occurred. I believe that, every word. But I believe that this is here more than just to give us a history lesson about what happened way back then. Because this is the living word of God. That's what uh, God by his spirit uh, advocates in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. All God's word is is useful for teaching and, um, and correcting. It is God's inspired word. So let's just set a little bit of a context for this roller coaster ride that we're going to be uh, thinking and about and drawing out from that some things that may well be of relevance to ourselves and where we find ourselves in our own journey. Being very uh, alarmed over uh, the news of the victories of Israel as at Jericho and Ai and hearing uh, of the Gibeonite uh, covenant with Israel. I mentioned last week that, that then uh, there was a, a number of the other kings, about five of the other kings, and one of those said, why don't we kind of like gather together and form this coalition? You don't want to speak about coalitions, do we? There's not got a good press, but uh, against the Gibeonites. Now, Joshua, who was initially against the Gibeonites because their lifestyle, let's say, was not that good. Um, we can unpack a little bit more. That was very graphic, very evil people. But despite maybe thinking, well, that'd be good to get rid of them. He already covenanted with God that this people group were going to be absorbed uh, because of the peace treaty uh, that they made. But maybe beyond that, he thought, well, maybe together with the the, uh, Gibeonites, we can actually come against that coalition. That was the sort of thing that was going on by way of background. God then confirms that he will give that entire coalition into his hands. And we know that if God says that if something is going to happen, then we know that is going to happen. So victory was assured. But that doesn't mean to say it was plain sailing. 
I know that despite this greater trochanteric pain syndrome, or GTPS as it is otherwise known, I know that despite that being bad every now and then, or however bad it may well extend to, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of, God, uh, uh, the Lamb's Book of Life. Nothing's going to eradicate that. That's good news. Victory is assured. But the journey from wherever I'm at now to getting there, well, there's going to be some pitfalls like there is with you as well. That's the common denominator we've got, uh, isn't it? Doesn't mean to say it's going to be plain sailing. For Joshua, it wasn't plain sailing. Uh, They marched all night, about 25 miles uphill, some 4,000 feet over steep and difficult uh, terrain. uh, terrain. Tired, they would need God's help and strength. God then sent a whole host of, of hailstones that killed even more of the enemy than Joshua and his uh, soldiers. And one uh, writer says this, which I found really helpful. There are occasions when we can do nothing but wait for God to act. But usually we are to do our part with dependence on God to do his I thought that was really, really helpful because so often I I pick up a sense of of, of extremes. If we're not careful, we launch into, okay, I'm kind of trusting you, God, but they can be just words if we're not too careful because actually this is all down to me. I can solve this. I can work this out. I can cope. I'm Mr. Repentant. And so we beaver away and try to work out a solution as to what's best. That's an extreme, isn't it? It's all down to me. Or, of course, we can go the opposite extreme think, well, I'm just going to trust in God to do his thing. If God wants to actually convert the next door neighbour or whatever, well, he will do that. And I'll trust in his sovereign grace. But actually, it may well be that I ought to be inviting him to the quiz night or whatever. There's a sense of coming together between what my part is and what God's part is, isn't there? And, of course, the wisdom is to work out uh, the difference. Paul uh, wrote to the church at Colossae and said, I work and I struggle. But using Christ's great strength that works so powerfully uh, within me. And I, I like that, that sense of him beavering away as if it was all down to him. I mean, here we are celebrating a year in this building where there's been lots of meetings, lots of decisions, lots of hands-on work about doing this, doing that, as if it was all down to us. But we had to take a step back and say, God, we can't do this on our own. We're reliant on you to provide, on you to direct. We ain't got a clue what to do. And very often we didn't. More often than not, in truth be told, we didn't. Major questions. Wouldn't have been any good for us to just beaver away on our own and just forget God. But it also wouldn't have done us any good at all to just wash our hands of our own responsibility and think, oh, well, we're trusting in the Lord. I love the... um, uh, the church members meeting I was at years ago uh, wasn't at this church so I can share this <laughs> and um, and it was to do with uh, recruiting another worker um, at the church but it would have meant a significant increase in, in the, the giving at the church in question and from the treasurer's perspective this would have been too much of a, of a jump because they were putting something like a this would be a 50% increase now I don't know what anybody gives none of my business I don't quite frankly care But to assume that every church member is going to then, as of next week, give an additional 50%, that was a big ask. And then, of course, one of the uh, the members of the congregation at the members' meeting said this, don't we believe the Lord will provide? Nobody could disagree with that, can they? But, of course, 
It doesn't happen with just coming out with a, a phrase like that unless what? Unless God's people put their hands in their pockets. As one pastor said to his uh, church, he said, the good news is, friends, the Lord has provided all the finance for our next project. Yes, the church went wild. The other end of the sentence is that it's in your bank accounts right now. I'm not sure I'm as brave as that particular uh, pastor (coughs) question. But there's that sense we see here of Joshua doing his part and God doing his. Where are we at in our journey? Where am I at in my journey? Well, God, if you want things to be, you know, me to, me to be on fire, me to do this, me to do that, well, just zap me now. Well, that's kind of like down the, the, the degree of leaving it all to God. Or conversely, and you know where I'm going with this, oh, I've got to do this, got to do this, got to do that. There's a balance, isn't there? And, and it's seeking God's wisdom as to how we bring the two together. Last week we were uh, thinking uh, on the Sunday morning of, um, of chapter 10, and Jack unpacked that brilliantly for us. Um, there's a little bit of a leap, obviously, between uh, 10 and 14. I make it four chapters in, uh, in my Bible. I don't know how, how your maths is. But chapter 11, just very quickly, sees the working out of numerous battles and basically Joshua destroying anyone and anything in his path. Uh, nothing is too big for God. The enemy's arsenal, and I wondered um, how many years it would be before I could include my football team uh, in an illustration. Uh, the enemy's arsenal was impressive. We can see that uh, from verse 4 in chapter 11. Uh, Israel were facing challenges that they had never faced before. What were those challenges? Josephus tells us that the Allied armies are, amounted to 300,000 on foot, 10,000 on horseback, 20,000 chariots of war, armed with iron scythes fastened to their poles and to the knaves of their wheels that created havoc when furiously driven over the ranks of infantry. What an advantage over the Israelites, over God's uh, people. An incredible advantage. Because God's people were just infantry only. Humanly speaking, they didn't stand the chance. Apart from one thing. Two, really. God was stronger. But secondly, maybe more important, God had already said, I will deliver them into your hands. So no matter what the scale or size of the opposition, if God says something's going to happen, it is going to happen, isn't it? And we'll be thinking about the size of those uh, giants or the enemies uh, that we might face a little bit later on. Last of all, the chapter in chapter 11 mentions that Joshua went and destroyed the Anakites. Only in Gaza, Gath and Ashdod did any survive. So what, we may well say. It was fear of the Anakites, this tribe of exceptionally large and strong people, that had made God's people too afraid to seek to enter the land some 40 years ago. And you can read about that back in Numbers chapter 13. Here, all of those foes of 40 years ago are going to fall. Maybe you've got some stuff from way back that one day is going to be needing to be addressed. I mentioned about uh, uh, being a foster carer and one of the uh, young people that I was... um, involved with a number of years ago, still got contact with, has been wanting to know, and they're uh, now an adult, uh, wanting to know 
why they went into care because they were a young child years ago. And uh, this is the third time that they've now been um, asked this question. And on the first two occasions, uh, they've been dissuaded, I think, wisely by social services because the pile of paperwork is like this that downloads the story as to why. You can fill in the, the gaps. I don't need to be that graphic. It's incredibly painful. Now she's an adult. She said, no, I want to do this, but can you actually sit by me with this? Well, she's seen that stuff, just begun to have a sniff at all the stuff she never knew anything about. whole host of stuff has come to the surface. We've all got those kind of things, maybe not to that scale. But for God's people here, this was a journey back for 40 years ago about what they were scared stiff of all these giants in the land and no way are we going to face that enemy. Now it's coming back. When God's people refused to enter Canaan out of fear of the Anakites, they didn't realise that God would predetermine that they would face that most difficult challenge again. But last of all, after all of the other challenges, God knows how to manage the battles in our lives, doesn't he? And he's very gracious because he kind of like leads us in ways that, that are going to be okay for us to handle, however big we think they are. He doesn't kind of drop us totally in the deep end and leave us without a capacity to achieve that. So those battles are kind of like this. They're going to develop and grow until we're in a place where maybe the biggest challenge of all we can face. And that's what's going on, I think, back here. And we've got to allow God to maybe manage those battles. We often find, don't we, that the challenges facing us in our Christian life maybe increase at each step. Think back, if you can, if you're able to, when you first became a Christian, maybe some of the bigger things that you faced in later life, you wouldn't have been able to handle way back then. It would have probably meant that you would have walked straight away from Jesus, if that's what God's going to be like. But there's been a whole host of discipleship and teaching and learning that, that you've then had over the years. So, nothing appears too big for God. That's where chapter 11 uh, goes, and we'll unpack the scale of the enemy and unpack that a little bit uh, later. Joshua did as the Lord directed. I love that verse, verse 9. So what should we do then as a church? And we were thinking about that this Tuesday as members. Got into groups, how we can make ourselves known, be more effective and letting out there, uh, know that we exist, all that kind of stuff. And as Chris actually uh, prayed, and I've got to agree with his prayer because he used exactly the same words I think as I did this morning. There's, it's trying to discern the difference between all the good ideas from the God ideas. Uh, I've only seen the top sheet. I've not been through or uh, collated the, the sheets or anything yet. But even on the, the top sheet there, there's probably about 20 ideas. We, we haven't got the manpower or the time to do more than two, probably. But amidst those 10, 12 sheets, however many groups it was, it's saying, God, out of all these good ideas that you poured in as church, what is it that you are saying that we might know that this is what we believe the Lord directing? And bless you, Chris, for how you prayed along those lines that we might know that. Joshua waged war for a long time. These hurdles, these barriers are not necessarily always overnight. Most commentators think it was between six and seven years. That is a long time. To be struggling against whatever the enemy is that we're facing. A long, long time. And at times we can maybe be tempted to give up. Or this is too painful to face. Or we feel that it's too fruitless. God's word says that we will reap a harvest. 
if we do not give up in Galatians 6 verse 9. We then move on to chapter 12, a long list of places and kings that Joshua defeated uh, that were also very difficult to pronounce. So I'm not going to ask anybody uh, to say that this evening. I think actually the greatest Bible reading we had along that line, Chris, was you years ago, can you remember? And Chris, in very dramatic fashion, I think it probably took three weeks off work to learn and uh, uh, this massively difficult passage, but he did it. And actually, I think it's probably the only Bible reading we had cheers and um, round of applause at the end of afterwards. But it, it's not necessary that the names that are that uh, important. What I would like to ask you is how sensitive you are about your age. Well, my, my kids are pretty blunt, I have to say, with me. Dad, you're getting on. And when I was and they were asking me how I am, I said, well, actually, uh, greater chocoderic uh, pain syndrome. Well, what do you expect when you're old? (laughs) That was the sort of sympathy that you get from your kids in their late uh, 20s. Well, this is what uh, what we read in, uh, uh, this is God's word. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, you are now very old. (laughs) You are now done pussyfoot around. And there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. I can remember when Dave was in eldership and David always said throughout his nine years of eldership, uh, I, I actually want to know when it's the right time to step down. Uh, so I would rather jump than be pushed. And, uh, and I'm not too sure how Dave would have taken to me saying, David, you are now very old. But then say, oh, but it's in the word. Well, I didn't have to say that. I did ask his permission, by the way, if I could say that in case you're wondering about how rude that is. But that's what God says to Joshua. Now, it's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Because of the emphasis in two uh, two directions, it strikes me. There's an awareness that God is flagging up to Joshua. You are no longer a young man. You are an older man, an older person. Does he say, so therefore you're of no use? Stand aside. No, he doesn't. He says there's actually still a whole host of other stuff to do. But when we are in that place... There's a a tension between that which we ought to be maybe holding on to because God's got his hand upon it. And also that sense of we need to explore what is a team that I can build around me so that when it's right, because of age or otherwise, I seek to pass that on, that baton on to someone else. Maybe God would say something similar to some of us. It doesn't really matter what age you are. But what is important is that we each take stock of where we are, when we are, doesn't it? As I look around, there are certainly no younger, younger people here. We've got our lives maybe more behind us than in front of us. So maybe God is maybe saying, well, you are old or you are on your way to becoming old. But I'm not finished with you yet. And that's important. Seek God every now and then with that which your ministry is and your role in church or your role outside or whatever it is that you're uh, engaged with. Sometimes it's particularly helpful to do that new seasons or people that are certainly new to the church and have been involved in doing this, that and the other outside to take stock of weighing well. I want to now be involved a little bit more here because it's my spiritual home, but I do all these other kind of things. And it's not a bad thing to take stock and sense what God is saying to you or to seek the counsel of someone else where is it that god is leading you where is your passion and your heart still it's pretty clear where caleb's was i'm as strong today as i was way back then in still being at the front line of leading god's people that was very clear 
But maybe for some of us, we just need to hear that sense of, look, there's other lands. I'm not finished with you yet. In actual fact, if you'll lift your heads, I've got a ministry for you that as yet, you've not sought my face about. Be open to that. If you want to explore what goes on here, Rich has got a section on the website called Opportunities to Serve Jesus. I think there are 80 areas. That's not an exhaustive list. I mean, it probably needs to be uh, uh, updated, I suspect. Pray through. Not so that you do all 80, but say, God, is there one thing on that list that's got your name on it for me for this particular season? Chapter 13 moves on with the divisions of the land. There's more names and places that's mentioned. And we missed out the beginning of chapter 14 because that uh, also carries on in similar fashion. And then we come to this man called Caleb. And as I mentioned this morning, I like this man called Caleb because a part of a small part of my own story revolved around way back when I became a Christian. I have no idea, I can't remember what led me to read Joshua or how I heard this. I mean, it's not exactly something that a new Christian would pick up and think, I've got to get stuck into Joshua 14. But God spoke to me at age 19, I was. And as I read about Caleb, and as he was able to look back to how he was 40, uh, 45 years ago, I said, I was as strong then. I'm as strong now as I was then. I can remember coming to the coming up and out of me God I want to be like that regardless of whether I make it to 85 I want at a given point in the future to be able to say hand on heart I am as strong for you now God as I was then now there's probably been times in my own journey when I had that um, that verse I've suddenly been reading that during the week I would have thought well I've blown it didn't do it failed times when maybe I thought well I'm okay roller coaster again But what a goal for there to be a given point in the future and to create that covenant yourself with Almighty God. May it be by your grace, God, that I'm as strong then as I am right now or as I was whenever it was that you had your own significant moment. That's not anything that we can take lightly or be cajoled into. It's a personal thing, a private matter. Uh, between ourselves and the Lord. But I was thrilled to reread that because it reminded me of that covenant myself from years ago. There's two um, two mentions in scripture, really, of, of uh, Caleb, of any, a detail. Uh, one of them we've got, obviously, in chapter 14. Uh, the first one goes back to Numbers 13. When he was already a recognized leader of his tribe, the Israelites stood at the threshold then of the promised land. All was good at that given moment in time. And then 12 leaders of Israel, one from each of the 12 tribes, were then chosen uh, to scout out the land in preparation for the Hebrew invasion. Ten of uh, the 12 reported to Moses that the land was full of giants. No way. That was beyond their grasp. So the answer is we are not going in. Absolutely no way, Jose. Two believed. Yep, we should go in. Against all the odds... God has given us this land. This is the promised land and he's going to do his stuff. We can read about that in Numbers 13. One of those two was Joshua and we've been thinking about him week by week. The other guy was a man called Caleb. So the two of them, 
were these two uh, men of faith that had a vision that maybe others didn't have. And it's not difficult, is it, to kind of apply that to ourselves. The ten faithless spies measured the giants against their own strength, but Joshua and Caleb measured the spies against God's strength. And the question for ourselves is, when we are faced with whatever our own giant is, is it a question that our our decision as to what we do about that is going to be dictated by the size of the giant, the hurdle, the issue, or the size of our God? That's the, the question, isn't it, for us? Because we're, we're going to have very different giants, each and every one of us. And then we've got this uh, incredible uh, second incident um, here in chapter 14. 45 years on, God's people were now in the promised land. Caleb is 85 and he says to, uh, to Joshua, God promised me that Hebron belonged to me and now I want that mountain. And in one sense, it sounds at this stage a bit kind of like arrogant. Who do you think you are? Well, we're going to see back to the context of what happened years ago to see that wasn't necessarily uh, the case. One of the things that is quite uh, a harsh reality to realise is that there can be seasons of judgment for God's people. And the gap between the first and the second uh, incident of, uh, of Caleb was just that. Now, very often when we think of judgment... We quite proudly are quick to deflect it to those out there, non-believing, the non-Christians, those who are doomed or whatever language we choose to refer to. And that may well be true in terms of final uh, judgment, end times. But God's word speaks quite in, uh, in quite severe terms about uh, there being occasions where he judges his people. And this is one of those incidences the majority of the 10 out of the 12 were the ones who were listened to in terms of what it was right to do before God or not. They hadn't sought God. It wasn't God's word. It wasn't God's way. It wasn't God's plan. It wasn't God's purpose. They got it completely wrong. Even though they trusted in the majority, the 10 out of the 12. That's not bad, is it? 10 out of 12, make a decision like that. You think, let's go with the majority. We would very often do that as, as a team uh, here. Some decisions are so important, you either got to wait till you're all on board or you've got to make sure you've got this right and get on your faces until we know this is what God's word is. This is what God is saying. God judged them for it because they weren't looking to him. They were looking at the size of the giants. The unbelief which had spread throughout the camp resulted in what? Disunity and rebellion as fear and unbelief always do. Now think about this. It's quite challenging for any church to think about this. If there's disunity, if there's anger and a bitter spirit, and that that's the outcome of actions taken, the actions taken cannot be of God, can they? Anybody want to doubt or question that? If we are seeking God's way and we are convinced that we have taken God's way. The fruit cannot be something that is the opposite of what is God's plan and heart. That's a worthwhile barometer for us sometimes as a church. It was the cause of Israel's years of wandering in the wilderness. God would not allow an entire generation 
of unbelief to enter into the promised land. And so he waited for them to die in the desert. Caleb was spared, and we'll, we'll, we'll discover that, because of his faith. Numbers 14, if you want to read it. But also we can see if we move to a little bit lighter uh, 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 moments, you're never too old. You are never too old. I don't know if you saw uh, recently, Britain's Got Talent, The Champions. You may well not be into that or not really care. But let me just tell you a couple of uh, stories about this kind of um, a program that's on TV where people do all sorts of quite amazing feats, it has to be said. And the British public vote in their millions uh, for this. Good family TV, uh, many would, uh, uh, would argue. And they were bringing back some of the, the different champions over the years, over the last 14, 15 years. So it, it was great to see some of those old acts back doing what they do best, a whole variety. There was the person who won Britain's Got Talent last year. And he was a Chelsea pensioner who sang. Now, it, it may well have been that this was something that how some, hundreds of other people could have sung. There was just something that struck a chord with the heart of the nation. And this guy got more votes than anybody else. And he'd never done this kind of thing before. He'd sung, but not to this elaborate scale. Never too old. But let me tell you about a dancing duo. There was the, the guy who was probably about 40 and his partner and if you think of a variety of different dances, tango, jive and everything else, his partner is in her 80s getting thrown all the way over this guy's head, under his legs. You think she is going to drop dead any moment. You're never too old. I mean an incredible inspiration. I can't remember the name of, of the couple, but it would certainly be right here that you're never too old. That was true for Caleb. It was also obviously true for Joshua and his leadership. Caleb uh, calls Joshua back to the promise of Moses made in Deuteronomy chapter 1. where Ca When Caleb says that he followed the Lord wholeheartedly, he's not being proud or anything else. He's actually quoting what Moses said about him. So there's quite a stark difference. Though he's advanced in his age, he's able to say, I'm as strong today as I was, as I was back then. At 85, he was wanting to lead out the fight against the Anakim. And we'll think about them in a moment. There's a balance, isn't there, between needing to pass the, balance on, the baton on and never retiring uh, from kingdom work. I, I kind of mentioned uh, that. But let's think about that uh, in the context of, uh, of what was going on here. There had obviously been something about this place called Hebron that Caleb wanted. That, that's for me. Something about, I mean, maybe you, you've seen a house after, let's put it in spiritual terms, you've been praying for God to, to guide you to the right house or the right area, and you found it, you think, yes, this is it. It just feels right. And that's a, a good feeling uh, to have. It's an important decision to, to make uh, that, uh, that over a pro property. There was obviously something about this place when Caleb saw it 40 years ago. A walled city in the south, perched nearly 3,000 feet up. And in this strongly fortified uh, city lived a race of giant men called the descendants of Anak. The phrase Anakim is the, the plural uh, of that. So the im suffix in Hebrew usually indicates the plural. Maybe Caleb liked that area. Maybe he just was always up for a challenge. Maybe 
it was the fear of the Anakin that then made him want to return to finish unfinished business. Maybe he had a concern for God's glory right there where we failed maybe as a people of God before. Or was it simply because of what he felt God had said? Either way, he knew that that was where he was meant to be and he was determined to go back despite what might face him. It's about where God wants us, isn't it? Which isn't being in the best place so much as the right uh, place. Hebron was not listed in chapter 13 as one of the places still to be conquered. So therefore we can deduce that it, that it had uh, been uh, conquered. Joshua must have already secured victory. So we can only speculate what the scale of things was for Caleb returning into that place to then defeat Maybe some of the some of the Anakim had, had returned, and that would be quite uh, feasible. Maybe they've been all sort of uh, chased out, but maybe some had come back. We don't know. Either way, he knew that there was a job for him to do, and something that Cada was determined to face and conquer. But maybe as we look back, as we touched on earlier, there are things that maybe we know in our own battles that we need to sometimes revisit, not just once but a second time. Areas of ground that maybe in our Christian lives we think, well, that was secured way back. But things have gone awry and we've kind of like somehow failed to occupy that area of our lives fully. And it's kind of like being taken over by the enemy. Confession can play a big part in that, but the battle's not over until we've finally fully occupied the ground. That takes a lot of self-examination and courage to go through those things. It can be quite painful if we don't, but quite painful if we do as well. We are with God on the victory side, but it's not always going to be easy in terms of the journey to get there. There may be a tension too between what maybe is seen as ambition, was it ambition for Caleb, or what is bold faith, which I'm sure was the latter for Caleb. Caleb had kind of internalised something of the truth of God's word and desire. And because of that, I think that then, upon his reflection, had become his ambition. I've got this. God has burned this into my heart. So now this is what I'm determined to see happen. I can't think of an equivalent in terms of the context of this church. But if we think in terms of 40 years... Well, this uh, old bi- moving out of old building would have been one of them. Way back then, there was a man by the name of Doug Holt. Many of you will remember Doug. Who was one of those younger trustees back then. Who felt led by God to recognise that actually that old building in Akron Road is no longer going to be fit for purpose. And we're going to need to move. 40 years, long time. He was determined to see that through. Was it ambition or was it bold faith? If, like Caleb, there's that sense of God having spoken, I believe it was, God spoke to other leaders over the course of of history, and that was way beyond my time, as well as subsequent uh, history, more recent history, God spoke to his church about that. Then, once we've internalised that, as that is what we believe God has said, to then want that and crave for that is just really ambition in a positive sense, isn't it? God, this is what you said, so we're going to look to you to now provide. That is what we are going to. Uh, to seek so there we go that's uh, uh, maybe um, uh, important to just flag up maybe a, a difference I think between personal ambition and ambition for the things of God and just finally as we, we round off 
God always confirms his uh, word. I have lots of um, people that say, I think God wants me to do such and such. And sometimes that's, that's great. I mean, it's always good when people have that as a positive start of a sentence. It's a little bit more difficult when people tell me what God has told them that they're going to do, and then they want my opinion. I mean, it's a bit pointless, isn't it? God has told me to go to Afghanistan. What do you think? Well, well actually, God's wrong. I mean, you know, there's a bit of a pointless thing. They're basically looking for, uh, you know, somebody to say exactly the same thing as to what they're believing. But exploring what God has said is, isn't a, always a very straightforward matter. We know it's not right to steal because God's word says don't. So we could say, well, that is discovering the will of God is quite easy in the sense of his generic will. But his particular will of what you and I are going to do today, tomorrow, the next day, that's a very different matter, isn't it? Because we've got all sorts of things that can compete in our minds. Most of them probably pretty healthy and honourable as well. God will always confirm his word. If God has spoken something to you and you believe that's of him, Usually, usually in my experience, that is then confirmed by different sources. And the bigger the issue and the decision, the more, generally speaking, I want to be careful to you know just uh, issue something dogmatic on this, but generally speaking, I think the, the more senses of confirmation that we get. This is what was occurring back here. Joshua chapter 14 and verse 12, we read these words. Now give me this hill country of Hebron that the Lord promised me that day. You yourselves heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. So there would obviously been some that had come back. So that's in Joshua 14. But if we go back to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 24. We read there that God then says, But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. The others know because they didn't have faith and they didn't uh, believe God. So we know that God spoke way back. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 36, we see similar uh, again, when the Lord heard uh, what you said, he was angry and solemnly wrote, not a man of this evil generation shall see this good land I swore to give your forefathers, except Caleb. He will see it and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And we thank God as we were to flip over the chapter to chapter 15 and verse 13. In accordance with the Lord's command, Joshua gave Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a portion of Judah, that is Hebron. God spoke and God confirmed his word. Boom, boom, boom. And then Caleb is saying, I remember over 40 years ago what God said. I'm claiming that. Okay, fair dues, and it becomes reality. God can sometimes speak to us through his words, can't he? Have you ever been in, it doesn't have to be here, and I'm not looking for uh, plaudits per se, but have you ever sat, because I have, here listening to someone minister God's word and thought, 
you're speaking to me. Ever felt that? And you might not even know that person. But you sense that there's something that comes through an individual of the word of life that cuts straight to the heart of where we're at. It's incredible when that happens, isn't it? You may well watch a program on the God Channel. You may well read a Christian book. You may well listen to another sermon or whatever in a different church. It doesn't matter. But God speaks to you through it. It may well be you're in coffee afterwards and you're in conversation. And somebody shares something in that conversation. They have no idea of what you're facing or going through. But just a phrase that they say. And you think, I needed to hear that. That's God. It's another piece of the jigsaw puzzle. If we've only got one piece of the jigsaw puzzle, very dangerous to make a big life decision. But as we collect the different pieces, piece here, a piece there, something that he makes clear through his spirit, a set of circumstances that occur, a situation that changes, hearing or reading something from the word, the more the pieces come in, the more we get to see the overall picture of what God is saying into our lives. And if it's God... You're not going to be surprised at this, but he's going to say the same thing in different ways. You're not going to be having a a whole host of people, pieces saying, well, God is saying different things to me here. No, he's going to be saying the same kind of things. Sometimes we value the counsel of someone else. We think, I'm not too sure exactly what God is saying here, but I know there's a whole host of pointers. Can you draw alongside and help me here? Be honest if you're asked your opinion, but may that conversation be seasoned with grace uh, as well, because God may well use you to speak into another person's situation. Always very sad when sometimes, I don't don't think I'm going to go next, but I don't don't think I'm getting a lot out of this series. Oh, I wonder what God might have wanted to give to another person through you. Doesn't say, doesn't the Lord say in the New Testament about each of you should come prepared to share and impart other bits of good unto another? Because that's how we, how God speaks very often. So when we choose to not be here, in whatever format that takes, we potentially are robbing someone else of being blessed through us. It's two way, isn't it? Two way. We're going to pray uh, together and then we're going to Bring all of these things, which is so helpful, I think, uh, for us to do. Whether it's God's guidance for the future. Whether or not our minds have gone back 45 years or to something else in the past. And we think, oh, I wonder, I need to take stock. Or maybe it's a sense of making sure we, we are securing the land in that area of our lives. There's no better place to bring all this kind of stuff than to the foot of the cross. So we're going to sing. We're going to sing a familiar hymn. It's number 315, I think. About singing about this wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. Because this paves the way for breakthrough. It paves the way for the way forward, doesn't it? Wherever uh, we're at. But just before we sing, let's pray. God, we pray. That whatever it is that you've spoken to us through your word, that you'd help us to respond to what we believe the Spirit's saying and to how he is guiding. 
Give us courage. Grant us your grace and confirm your word that we might be the people you want us to be and be where you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.